Welcome back to Has Chats, where we're chatting about hazards, technology, and all the human stuff in between. Now, I'm really excited about this podcast episode because I, Ginny, am no longer alone. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody, I would like to introduce my new, our new co-host here at Has Chats, Josh. Hello, it's Josh. We're here to Has Chat about Has Things, humanity-friendly technology. I'm a computer science major, and we're going to be getting into a lot of interesting topics on this chat experience. Yeah. So now, for all you developers out there and people that are interested in technology, I'm excited to say we've got a professional here. Josh is a developer here in Hazadap. Um, but Josh, tell me a little bit about your development history and style and what people can expect. Sure. Um, I am finishing up my undergrad in computer science at Oregon State University with a focus in um, cybersecurity. I do a lot of work in web and mobile development, and I'm really interested in looking at technology from a a user and ethical perspective. I think we're going to be digging digging into that a lot on the show. So yeah, that's kind of my perspective. And yes. <laughs> Excellent. It's good to have you on here um, because we want to really break down humanity friendly and what this really means in practice. Um, not just saying this with intention and saying this is what we hope to do, but it's what we're actually doing. Um, so Buckle up, it's going to be a great show. If you're new to the world of creating technology, a great way to think about it is, like many things in life, creating technology is like starting a quest. And there's a ton of decision points that impact how you create it and how it impacts your users. Yeah, so we're in a really unique position at Hazadap because we're working directly with emergency managers and our main focus is helping communities. So there's a lot of times where we're faced with really big decisions since we're in a tech field where we have a technical or a sort of more social decisions that we have to make. And when we document those and think about um, why we're making them, that it helps us look back and um, think about what our what our priority priorities are and uh, and who we're trying to help. That's exactly right. So you know, to that, all different kinds of tech have different responsibilities, right? Our responsibility is really high, just like Josh was saying, because we deal with people in emergencies, which would be different from like, for say, Candy Crush, right? That's a pure entertainment. Uh, so all technology has different responsibilities, um, but every single piece of technology has some kind of responsibility for how they affect their users. So our goal in sharing about our thought process and our journey, our quest in hu creating humanity-friendly technology is tenfold. There's a lot of reasons why we want to do this. Yeah, so we kind of touched on this before, but we're in a really unique position um, just in terms of where we are uh, in relation to the public and in relation to emergency management. And this is a really a uh, brand new space for tech to be in. So we're exploring this for the first time. And it's I think it's really important that we talk about um, our decision-making process and go over a lot of these uh, big ideas because it's going to be impactful and uh, it's a really new space, especially for tech. And this is really cool stuff. Definitely. Now, if you go and you Google humanity friendly, you may not see a lot. And that's because we're kind of the first to ever really use this term. And 
As a reminder, humanity friendly is our umbrella term, which means it actually encompasses a lot of different pieces. Um, But to give a really quick review of those four main aspects of humanity friendly. One, the tech is inclusive. Two, it's receiver oriented, meaning it has purposeful equity. Three, it's community centered. And four, it's humane. Now, we're going to dive into each of those tenants later on in this podcast. But what we're really trying to do is highlight those decision points on our journey as we're creating Hazadab. Because we hope that in the future, other developers and other tech startups can see these decision points and also make ethical decisions for their users. Yeah, so one of the big goals of this podcast is to just sort of give an insight into where our heads are at and what our our big uh, overall goals are with this. Because uh, especially like we're in the new section of a very new field like uh tech and computer science in general is a very relatively new science and it kind of gets explored as it's being created and that's what we're here to do. Um, We have the privilege of being able to look back on um, you know roughly a hundred ish years of uh, computer science technology and um, look at where things went well and where things didn't and our goal is to use that and apply it in a, a brand new field and do it better. Wow. Yeah. If you think about that, like we've had hazards and people have been dealing with hazards since time immemorial, right? Ever since we can remember. Yeah, absolutely. But tech's only been here like a hundred-ish years. And then just personal cell phone technology, what, that's been like 10, 20, 20 years? Yeah. If that very short lifespan. Yeah. So, you know, we, just like Josh said, we are really discovering and innovating and creating on the go. Uh, There's an analogy that says (laughs) doing a tech startup is like jumping off a cliff and building the plane on the way down. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, we can see it uh, time and time again, like a new platform or a new form of technology will start and it really is like released. And the way we measure impact is like, you know, millions of users have this and how did it go? Mm. And when we think about um, emergency management and public safety, it's a really bad idea to um, approach tech that way because you don't want to measure your impact after the fact when you're dealing with public safety. So stakes are higher. Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely one of the kind of unique aspects of what we're doing is because, um, yeah, just like when we think about um, the decision making, we can't uh, take as many risks as other um, tech startups because we really have to focus on like the impact on um, our users. It's a it's much more in focus for us. It's it's a big much bigger deal. Yeah. So in that cliff analogy, we're not just running and jumping. We're actually planning out and we're building a lot of it on the ground first before we try to start spreading our wings. Um, but, you know, to the quest aspect, right? When you are first starting any kind of quest, the one of the be- very beginning decision you have to make is your beginning intentions, right? So this is the spark of the idea that's like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And then how do you actually make the powerhouse that can make this a reality? So, Josh, when we're beginning to start to create tech, uh, you know, what are some of the questions you ask yourself? Um, definitely the first question for um, any tech startup should be, what, uh, what is our audience? And this is probably true for uh, every startup on the planet, is what's our audience? Who are we selling to and who are we prioritizing when we make um, development decisions? 
and this is a really big deal for us and and um because our number one priority is users and the public and so when we approach this and we're making decisions on features or functions uh the the number one the number one uh priority is making sure that um we're we're helping the user and there's a lot of times we can look at technology and see times where uh technology has been actively harmful towards users maybe in ways that uh isn't obvious so it's not always easy to just simply make a decision where we say uh we'll just hurt nobody with this decision but we're we're trying our best and we're really uh taking a look at a lot of these uh decisions during development and really focusing on uh, who's going to be affected by this? Uh, how can we perceive people being affected by this? And how can we mitigate harm? Okay, so we just talked about, you know, who we're building this for. But that kind of leads me to this chicken and egg question, right? Um, because when we're building technology, we're usually trying to solve a problem. And that could be how to make something happen faster, how to make something more efficient or make something easier. Um, and in our case, we were, you know, trying to solve this communication gap uh, where a lot of people weren't getting the information that they need. And so that's kind of also where we found our audience, right? Who were the people that weren't getting the message? So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Sometimes we're building towards a problem. Other times we're building toward an audience. Yeah, this is definitely one of those things that comes up all the time when we're uh, talking about uh, dev decisions, especially when we're talking about um, communication between public and emergency managers where we can um, there's a lot of different ways that we can design a certain system or especially when we're talking about um, uh, like comment systems or post systems and um, we have to lean really heavily towards uh, our audience um, which is I think something that isn't always done especially in uh, like on social media platforms um, because when we're thinking about public safety that like, you know, I've said a million times, like the risks are just way higher. And um, yeah, so when we're thinking about a balance between what's the most like efficient form of this kind of like social media platform versus uh, how can we be most beneficial to our audience, we generally really want to lean towards our audience there and keep as much um, of a like really effective and uh, uh, balanced system. But yeah, like when we're when we're looking at these things, uh, I think generally we, we want to lean towards the audience. Well, and that's that's a struggle, right? So in emergency management, when we think about our you know audience, we're thinking about the public. And right, so yeah. that can be, you know, mom, dad, grandma, uncle, kids, pets. It's it's so huge. Uh, and this is this is different from most tech, right? Because most tech, you don't have to think about the person's pets or you're just thinking about just the user, right? The individual user. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, definitely our audience is really broad. So like, yeah, it's easy to say like, oh, our audience, but definitely that gets like broken down into subsections all the time uh, in like meetings and stuff. And uh, it can be a challenge to think about all the different, types of people that can be using something as broad as a public safety app and thinking about how we can accommodate uh, all different types of people um, in our in our design. Absolutely. So that's one of those pieces that, again, brings us back to the inclusivity aspect of humanity friendly. 
we have to make sure our app is inclusive to a whole spectrum of people's needs in a way that is not just about your language or your age. So when we're dealing with disasters, right, it affects each of us differently. So if I am a wheelchair user or perhaps if I've got kids or pets, the information and actions I'm going to need will probably be different from someone who is not a wheelchair user or someone who uh, may be visually impaired or someone who doesn't have kids, right? We each have different intersections. And so as we're creating technology here at Hazadap, that is to help people in disaster. And our audience, like you mentioned, it's broad. It's huge. <laughs> it's not just, you know, uh, teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17, um, you know, like many apps can be. Uh, we we want to include everybody. So I will put a big caveat right there because even people without cell phones have to deal with disasters. Right, yeah. So we, we are obviously limited in, uh, you know, our capacity to help everybody. But we hope that... For users that don't have cell phones, hopefully they're nearby somebody who does have a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it is really interesting. Um, you know, when we think about uh, platforms like uh, Facebook or Twitter with uh, really large audiences, they have roughly the same audience that we do. And the big difference is how important that is. So when we think about like general social media platforms, they're definitely concerned with basic accessibility features like um, text-to-speech or language options um, but we have to go beyond that because we're dealing with like you said um, people in disasters where they have to um, react uh, very differently depending on their environment or depending on who's around them so they're gonna have a lot of different priorities so when we think about accessibility it's not just um, language and it's not just um, like hearing impairment or vision impairment it's a lot of um, yeah, like, do you have kids? How old are you? What kind of area are you in? Mm -hmm. um, these issues become a lot more important because we're dealing with sort of like... Life. Yeah, life, <laughs> geopolitical, sociopolitical, all kinds of mm -hmm. uh, really big topics that are uh, super important from a design perspective here. Totally. And this is actually leading us into beyond inclusivity to that second aspect of Humanity Friendly called receiver-oriented. So... If you are a, you know, platform or cell phone user, you are receiving information. So that information should be oriented to you. And that's kind of where it's not just about making sure it's inclusive and it's, you know, there. It's making sure that it's delivered to you in a way that you understand. And that's so critical for hazards and disaster adaptation because we all need information that's going to help us personally overcome whatever hazard is there. So this beginning intention that we have here with Hazadap was exactly this. We need to be sure that everybody is getting the information that they need despite whatever hazard that comes their way. And here at Hazadap, we don't have the luxury of uh, you know, being able to say, well, this isn't applicable to some people, so we can just disregard that, right? So in the instance of Candy Crush, I'll keep bringing that up because I think it's kind of a very specific uh, tool or, you know, app. You know, Nana may not be into Candy Crush because Nana's got other things to do and maybe doesn't want to play a cell phone game. Um, but, you know, possibly your uh, younger brother or sister uh, may be really into Candy Crush because they are interested in that. Um, so, you know, 
we have this opportunity, though, um, to say, well, you know, both Nana and little brother and sister uh, need information relevant to them. So we can't just disregard Nana. We can't just disregard uh, any of the other users. We really do have to make sure that everybody's addressed. And that kind of brings us to this next point of who is benefiting from this? It's, you know, not just identifying the audience, but who's actually getting stuff out of this. Um, and that's really that beginning intention of, you know, who you're building for and why are you building it for them? So when we're thinking about our beginning intentions, uh, one concern may come up, which is, you know, is it okay to just build technology for a very specific audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think absolutely. Uh, every tech platform is going to be different and it's gonna have different needs. And I think the only way to effectively build useful technology is to understand your audience. So I don't think it's wrong to have an audience, but it's, uh, we're definitely, um, at, in, at Hazadapt, we have uh, a really large audience. And that's just something we have to work with and be really concerned about. But there are going to be people developing other kinds of tech where uh, they don't need to have the same kind of concerns that we do when it comes to uh, having a really broad audience. So, yeah, I, I think having a uh, understanding your audience is, is super important, uh, no matter what you're designing. That's right. And, you know, having the target audience is OK. And certain target audiences have different responsibilities. For instance, you know, if I've if we're building a platform for kids, right? We have to make sure that it's appropriate for kids and it doesn't set them up for failure, success, or harm. Uh, like, for instance, Instagram Kids may have been, uh, right? Yeah, because they weren't putting in those measures to protect kids. Um, so, depending on your audience, you're going to have uh, responsibilities, and it's important you address those early. Yeah, you know, I think if you, uh, well, if you were to design a platform with no audience in mind, that's when you do things uh, like put kids at risk or mm -hmm. things like that. So you, you, if you miss really important uh, precautions for certain uh, uh, audiences, that's when you have, um, you kind of run into ethical trouble in the tech sphere, I think. Oh, and that, that brings us to our next big decision point. We just talked about the intention but now let's actually talk about creating the tech and making sure that we are addressing those ethical concerns. So the bare question, base question is, is well, who's building this technology? Uh, that's a great question. We are building this. Um, yeah, pretty small team at Hazadapt, and we are generally split into a couple different groups. We have the main uh, dev team, and we have a design team, and we as well have a content uh, creation team. And I think those are uh, the three main important aspects at Hazadapt, and they all do really important things. And uh, we all work together generally, but that's that's how we kind of semantically split ourselves up. Right. And every person on each team has their own biases that they could potentially uh, put into their code or their designs or the content they create. So each of us have a responsibility to actually identify what are those biases. Right, yeah, absolutely. And I think we um, do our best to address a lot of those concerns um, because we are all kind of responsible for looking at what we're creating. So it doesn't, like if you are um, a just a developer and you write, um, code like for 90% of your job, your the the rest of your job is um, looking at 
design ideas or looking at content ideas and giving feedback because we want to um, have as many perspectives as possible um, to identify like potential problems in design or potential problems in uh, code or potential problems in content. And the more eyes we have and the more perspectives we have on a lot of these issues, then um, the better content we're going to create. That's right. So if you're new to the startup life, uh, I'm going to give you a really quick rundown of how this works. So someone has the idea for a feature. We take it to design and we create a rough prototype. And then that goes to the developers who then take those designs and develop a tool before we publish out to the public users. Now, that sounds very linear, but really it's a major feedback loop in the sense that there's a lot of discussions happening in between all of those teams over yeah, and over again. Absolutely. It's a, a yeah, huge iterative process. It's kind of like a ping pong. So mm. we, uh, on the dev team, uh, bounce it back to design and they give feedback and then we update and we get feedback and we update because um, the first draft of any um, design is going to be uh, rough uh, compared to what we want the final product to be. So uh, we just kind of like whittle down the like rough start to what we want our final product to be. And that uh, process is really important because if we released code after the first uh, draft, then our app would be a disaster. So. It would be rough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's big take home message today. Your first draft is probably going to suck and that's okay because it's usually never the final draft. And one way in design in Hazadap that we make sure our designs are inclusive is we have a feedback loop process called GenderMag. And GenderMag is an inclusive design feedback process that helps us review our designs and make sure that they're addressing the needs of people who have different cognitive learning styles or problem solving styles. So. GenderMag was created by actually uh, Dr. Margaret Burnett and her team here at Oregon State University. Shout out Dr. B. Um, so we're thrilled to use that. And I'm so thankful that we got actually taught by the master of GenderMag uh, how to do this. And once things have been GenderMagged and they've been given the seal of approval, yes, this is inclusive, uh, we can then go to dev. And that is actually, so that's three feedback loops with GenderMag before it's, we give, the design team gives the dev team the green light. Yeah. Uh, shout out Dr. B. This is definitely one of those uh, times where working in public safety kind of comes up again in the dev process. Because when we think about the um, user flow through our app, it's uh, critical that we don't have big um like use uh, issues. So when we think about other platforms, they are working really hard to make sure that you can efficiently uh, find what you're looking for. That's a big part of every single um, design space. But we just have like greater responsibility to those principles because we're working in a field where uh, finding information can potentially be time sensitive and it can uh, potentially be like threatening life or threatening harm to people. So when we think about design, there's these huge, huge issues of um, is there like are the routes through our app clear or is there ambiguity? Because we want to destroy all ambiguity. 
um, because we want users to find what they're looking for as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge, huge, huge part of our uh, design process. Right. So, you know, there's, you know, once weekly we come together as a team and we have a product meeting and we'll often kind of think about how the user would be actually using this tech in a disaster, in a hazard. And we all have to kind of put on our, you know, thinking caps of, okay, if I'm in that situation, you know, your heart's racing, your, you know, cognitive thinking level is actually lowered because you're panicking or because you're scared or you're just trying to deal with all the things coming. So we have to be really careful about what it is that we're putting on there and how much cognitive load is on that page. Because what we don't want to do is distract somebody away from their main purpose, which is finding the info they need to save their life and get out of danger. Yeah, absolutely. So like gender mag is a huge part of that. And we also have like emergency management specialists on our team mm -hmm. at Hazadap that help us like audit the design and audit our content. Um, and these are all super, super important uh, parts of the design because uh, if you're me and you've grown up mostly around technology, then a lot of things are going to feel more intuitive to me than they are to other people. So we have to think about, um, like, from a design perspective, I might be designing something, and in my head I go, well, yeah, most users are going to recognize this symbol or most users are going to recognize this function, but when we implement things that way, it is a risk. And we have to think about, well, if what what's the scenario when a user doesn't recognize this function or a user doesn't recognize this feature? So we want to reduce... Uh, those kind of interactions where we are uh, excluding parts of our audience because our audience is very broad and we don't we don't want to do that. Also, and you just hit on a good point. You know, you grew up in technology. I grew up in medicine, <laughs> so I, you know, coming into tech, um, I'm, you know, what someone might originally have said. I am not a very, you know, quote unquote tech savvy person. I had to become tech savvy, but. You know, for the majority of the population, you know, they aren't developers and they didn't maybe grow up around, you know, tech development um, as many developers might have. So what makes sense to a developer um, may not make sense to the general public. And what we also do in Hazadab, just like Josh mentioned, we've got this hazard team uh, that's full of emergency and hazard professionals. And we review the tech along every single stage. And there are definitely times where things kind of have to go back and forth. And that's beautiful and brilliant. We want that back and forth um, pull and tug of thoughts. Um, and I'll give an example that actually we're dealing with right now. And this is one of Josh's babies, the filters. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in the tech sphere, um, a filter is a very specific thing. It's how you filter information and either cut out results. Um, but in our hazard guide, we have the opportunity to boost your information with additional information that may have more intersectional content i.e. kids, pets, you know, uh, elderly, disabled, you know, you can actually add content in. Now, technically, those boosters don't qualify as filters, uh, but the majority of the public would still see that as a filter. So how do we describe those kind of funky little filters in a way that is still understandable, but also doesn't give poor Omid a heart attack because it is not <laughs> exactly a filter? Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where um, it seems like it would be a pretty simple design decision, um, but then when we kind of dig into it, it becomes a, a lot more nuanced than we initially expected. And definitely filters one of, one of those things because um, a lot of apps have like uh, filter functions, and 
a user is not going to think too much about that. But when we're thinking about it from a design perspective, it gets a lot more complicated and a lot more challenging, especially when we're filtering things for specific content like uh, kid safety information, pet safety information. Then all of a sudden, uh, the really minute design details and like if we click three filters at the same time, where does content show up? What gets pushed down? What, what gets uh, pushed to the top? Like these... Um, these small interactions uh, become really, really important. Absolutely. So we've mostly been talking about the internal testing and review and feedback, but it doesn't just stop there at your core team. You have to go outside and actually ask other people to test your app. And so for us, that looks like emergency managers. That looks like you know, everyday people uh, that have never touched this technology before. And we got to hear their perspectives on how this works. So external feedback is just as critical, if not even more critical than your internal feedback. Your internal feedback and review is like your homework. You have to do that anyways, and you should do it well before you ever go out and talk to the public about your technology. Yeah, for sure. We definitely uh, don't want to be beta testing a lot of these features on the public. We want to try to resolve as many issues as we can internally. Uh, but at the same time, we want to include as much uh, as much opportunity for users to provide feedback as possible. Because if we do have uh, issues, whether it's like content or app usability related, we want to know that um, because these issues are uh, really, really important and we want to be able to fix them. So whenever we can, we're uh, implementing like feedback uh, features mm -hmm. um, because that, yeah, getting uh, outside feedback is really, really important. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I didn't realize that all tech does all of this feedback. Well, that's because <laughs> oftentimes technology, uh, technology creators may not do this much internal feedback and review. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to depend a lot on what you're making. And especially when we think about tech and new technology, uh, a lot of times these like uh, internal audits or like external review systems aren't present because the like technology is going to be really new and a lot of the design focus is going to go into just getting the product out on the market really, really fast. Um, so we are kind of switching up the like really broad development um cycle just a bit by really focusing on uh, including uh, these like feedback features and uh, including a lot of the internal like review stuff uh, earlier than usual in like a normal dev cycle. So for everybody out there thinking, well, wait a minute, that's probably going to take a lot more time than normal tech creation. When do you get to the good stuff? When do you start making money? Right? And you know, when we think about how a lot of tech has been created in the past, there's this old adage that goes, move fast and break things. And when you are someone like Hazadab or a technology like Hazadab, the things that you could be breaking are human lives. So to that concern, is this going to take extra time to do humanity friendly, you know, technology creation? Um, yeah, um, it will. And I think that's something that is uh, worth the extra time and extra effort because we're working with uh, public safety and that's something that uh, it's not good to take risk with, risks with, right? So 
uh, we're taking extra time to really fine tune like our features and we're taking extra time to uh, really work on like these feedback uh, systems and that's because we don't want to we don't want to really say a product uh, early and have uh, severe consequences because of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes, the answer is at, you're right. It absolutely does take time, but people are worth it. You're worth it. Everybody is worth that extra time and that little extra TSC, sorry, TLC uh, that makes sure that this is not first not going to cause any harm, but then it's meaningful to you. Yep. So we just covered the two first main decision points of us starting our quest. And the first one is the beginning intention. What is the problem you're trying to solve and who are you solving it for? Yeah, and our second really big point is who's building this product and and what is our strategy? What what is our design plan? Mhm. So there's a couple things to note about humanity friendly and we're going to talk about it a lot here. So I want to give some realities about humanity friendly before we try to just totally sell you on it, right? That's what good science does. Good science admits when there's limitations or there's possibly concerns. Yeah, so absolutely. we want to be upfront with you about what those might be. One, all tech looks at the ethics of use, but some tech has higher responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Like this has come up a lot, especially when we're digging into like audience is the better we can understand our audience, the the better we're going to understand what uh, standards we need to hold ourselves to. Um, and that's going to be different for every product that's being designed. So, yeah. And every person on the team has part of that responsibility, starting from the CEO and going down to every single person that touches influences the technology everyone's got a responsibility yeah i actually think that's a really uh, important point because uh when you are a developer it can be really easy to separate yourself from kind of the uh from other aspects of design and other aspects of responsibility because you're like uh other people are doing the design my job is just to build it so um, we want to kind of distance ourselves from that mindset and remember that everyone on the team is responsible for what's getting made. So if I'm the developer, uh, I need to be just as insightful into the product I'm creating as the design people who are giving me feedback because um, we're going to make a better product that way. Yeah. So open lines of communication are huge. And we do a lot at Hazadap to make sure that everybody is talking to everybody and we're all receptive to each other's ideas and perspectives. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about diversity in your team is that the more diverse your team is, the more perspective you can add and bring to your tech. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing is that um, this, is a, this is a work in progress and this is a it's a journey that we're on and we're in the process of. So uh, we don't have all the answers, but we do have the privilege of being able to look back on other tech design uh, startups and processes and seeing what worked and what didn't. And we have uh, an opportunity here to um, use that knowledge to try and uh, create the best uh, possible product for the public and, and prioritize public safety. 
Absolutely. This is a lifelong journey and it doesn't have a finishing point or destination because humanity is so complex and intersectional. And, you know, we really are getting cozy with the idea that we should always be willing to adapt and learn and continue to make adjustments to what is the highest and best. And we do that by not only ourselves doing the research and doing that work, but just like Josh mentioned, we build off of the shoulders of giants like Dr. B that we mentioned earlier, who created the gender mag process, Kat Holmes, who is a inclusive tech innovator and published author, uh, so many others out there that we stand on your shoulders. And so major shout out. Thank you so much to all of those innovators out there who have come before us and said, yeah, we got to do this differently. We learn from you. And now our job is to combine them all together and make tech that actually has all of these pieces. It's new, it's wild, um, but it's worth it. It's wacky. It's wacky, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the pieces that you know I actually wanna make a special note about, um, we've talked about how humanity-friendly tech is inclusive, it's receiver-oriented, and we're gonna get into the community-centered and the humane tech in the next podcast. But within each of these pillars, is tenets of anti-racism. And this is so important for our tech specifically because we are working in public safety. And we've seen a history and we have documented scientific proof, um, plus lived experiences that have told us that public safety has a lot of improvements and things that need to happen in order to become an anti-racist or uh, a non-oppressive structure for black, indigenous, and people of color. So we're going to dive into the deep uh, strategies of how we use anti-racism in each of those humanity-friendly pillars in a later podcast because it deserves its own moment. But for now, we're starting with those two major decision, decision points. If there's one thing that we can really look forward to in the next or in the upcoming tech revolution is that tech is moving in a humanity-friendly direction. I don't think we're the only startup or only tech company that's really looking to uh, move this direction. I think we're going to be seeing uh, a lot of really interesting tech developments in the future that are really beneficial to humanity. That's right, because we're worth it. Humans are worth it. You're worth it. I'm worth it. We're all worth it. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on Has Chats. I'm so thrilled that you're going to be here as host. I had a lot of fun with you today, um, and I'm excited to keep breaking down humanity-friendly as we keep moving forward on our quest to make the best technology we can for people in need. Yeah, absolutely. It's been super fun for this podcast, and I foresee um, a lot of really interesting discussions moving forward. This is Ginny. This is Josh. Signing out with your reminder, good things take time, and they're usually never easy as we're all adapting. Mm -hmm.